and anxiety. Do you ever feel like that guy sometimes? I mean, if you had to feed 20,000 people. The dictionary defines anxiety this way. Distress or uneasiness of mind caused by fear of danger or misfortune. Alan Myers says this about anxiety. Anxiety is a generalized state of unease, so unbearable for most of us that we attach it to something as soon as we can. So anxious unease turns into worry about something, whether that something is real or imagined. Fear produces anxiety, and anxiety produces worry. It is the bane of human existence. Fear, anxiety, worry, I believe, are the ball and chain that would imprison all of us, which is why I played that social distortion song this morning. Now, maybe for some of us, it is the fear of disease, perhaps. There's a lot of disease around, and new diseases every year. This year, the big one is Zika, right? For others, it's the fear of losing loved ones to death or betrayal or abandonment. Maybe it's the fear of terrorism. Maybe it's the fear of losing a job. For me personally, it is the very common anxiety that so many people feel making ends meet. Will there be enough to pay the bills, to feed my family, to fix my cars, to pay for my kids' college, for retirement, etc.? Regardless, whatever the details are that produce the fear, the anxiety, and worry, and whether those details are real or imagined, the fact is, living with fear, anxiety, and worry is no fun. Correct? At all. It can be downright paralyzing. And I suggest that the greatest miracle Jesus ever did, is doing, and wants to do in every one of us, is free us from this ball and chain. Free us from worry. He wants to give us vision, even when our circumstances would give us fear. Vision over circumstances. And this story of the loaves and fishes is exactly why I believe this. You know, as simple as this story seems, and we've all heard it if we've been brought up in church at any level, this might be the most important story in all the Gospels except for the cross and resurrection. Take this into account. It is one of only 11 stories that make it into all four Gospels, and it is the only miracle Jesus performed that is recorded in all four Gospels. And not only is it recorded, but Jesus talks about it, and that might be more telling. Because there were times when the disciples would be confused about something Jesus said or did, and he would say, well, that's because you didn't understand the loaves and fishes. So Jesus felt himself that this was a massively important story. And I'm hoping that as we understand it better, we can open ourselves up to the very real possibility of allowing Christ to perform in us the same miracle that he was trying to perform in the lives of the disciples. See, the disciples were anxious. What they, the detail they attached their anxiety to was the fact that the crowd did not have enough to eat. And this, as Myers pointed out, this is something we do all the time. We give 
our anxiety's validity by attaching them to situations. Bless you. And often, those situations have not yet happened, and they might not happen. No one from the crowd had started grumbling yet about being hungry. But the disciples' generally, general anxiety needed a reason to worry. So they picked on this. Then what happens is we allow our worries to take up permanent and residence in our lives by getting all common sense about things. Common sense is something we elevate. And there are times we should have common sense. But, believe it or not, common sense just gives a lot of footing to our anxieties. See, watch. The disciples didn't want to deal with the real issues of their own fears. So they started to make plans to try to prevent whatever it is they're afraid of. And so they said, listen, they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy something to eat. That's a good common sense plan. Good common sense plan. But hiding behind the dignity of common sense is most often our own fears. And a desire to simply get rid of what causes us anxiety. The disciples were convinced that if the crowds would just go away, they could stop worrying. Does that sound familiar? How many times, Lord, if this would just be different, just this, everything will be fine. The problem, though, with getting rid of what we think is causing our anxieties is twofold. A, how do you get rid of something that hasn't happened yet? And B, what if it happens? What if you can't get rid of it? See how empty a strategy it is? Because let's face it, a lot of the things we're afraid of will happen to us. We could and some of us will get cancer. We could and some of us will lose our jobs. They do and many of us will have sick children. We might not be able to pay all the bills. We could lose a loved one, etc., etc. But still, we go through this strategy. These common sense strategies to get rid of our anxiety. And all the while, we are really only accomplishing one thing. Keeping fear in our lives. When what we really need to do is deal with the fear itself, not the details causing it. So... What were the disciples really worried about? The same thing that causes us all to worry. Self-preservation. Will there be enough food for me? That would take half a year's wages. If you read John's Gospel, they say 200 denarii, which is probably more like a whole year's wages to feed all those people. They were worried that if they're going to feed all those people, it would wipe them out financially. And that... If they shared the little food they had, they wouldn't have enough to eat. This, this so resonates with me. You know when you read the Gospels or the Bible, and you see these stories, and sometimes you can put yourself in the stories, but sometimes you can't? This one, I am front and center. I would have been the disciple spokesperson to go to Jesus and say, no, we're not feeding them. You're nuts. How can we help them when we can't even help ourselves? So it's church. It's a good place for confession. It's a safe place for confession, I hope. This is my, my biggest sin in my life. Is I live 
often in a state of anxiety over if I'm going to be able to take care of myself and my family. It's horrible. Do you know, according to the IRS, there was a 15% drop in charitable contributions in 2008 and 2009, and that was the height of the recession. We humans worry when we think the outlook is bleak. Anxiety, worry, fear. Dave, do you like how I got the IRS in on tax weekend? <laughs> Dave an English teacher, so I love doing things like that. We get anxious when we think we might not have enough. We do the common sense thing when we are driven by circumstances. But Jesus, on the other hand, wants us to be driven by vision. He wants that we don't fear, that we don't get anxious, that we don't worry. Now, here's the beauty of it. This is not an empty desire of God's. This is not a rule out of context. That's the beauty of God. He doesn't give us rules out of context. He just tells us, hey, this is how you can live, and this is how you can die. This is not a rule out of context. And it's also not some bubblegum philosophy. It's not, don't worry, be happy. It's not what this is. This is the very vision of the kingdom of God. It's the reality of living vision over circumstances. It's the miracle of His life in us. So here's what God knows. Fear, anxiety, worry, imprison us. They reduce us. They oppress us. He loves us so much, He wants to set us free. He died to set us free. The imitation of Christ, living like Christ is that freedom. It is the good news. And the good news is it's possible because He lives in us. See, while the disciples were fearful, Jesus was compassionate. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, He had compassion on them. They were fearful. He was compassionate. While the disciples were anxious for themselves, Jesus ministered to others. While the disciples worried about their future, Jesus loved others now. See the difference? The disciples, who were all about self-preservation and thinking about themselves, were imprisoned by fear, anxiety, worry. Jesus, was, who was all about altruism and loving others, was free. Rich and I just spent two weeks debating the purpose of the Holy Spirit wanting to clean us up. He wants to free us. That's the point. Live loving others, free. Live self-preservation, imprisoned. Jesus knew the disciples' true need was not getting rid of their problems, but in getting rid of their fear. He could have sent the crowds away. That would have been simple. But this was an opportunity to reveal to the disciples what their true need was and how his life in them could change everything. See, the disciples' fear caused them to say, send the crowd away. And Jesus' answer was, no, you feed them. You feed them. He was calling his disciples out of themselves, out of their circumstances, out of their fearful, calculating lives into a life of freedom based on a vision of loving others with glorious abandon. It's the loving others that frees us from fear. 
consumed with compassion for others, there's no room for fear. I think this was the story that Jesus was always trying to tell them. If the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Well, what was Jesus trying to get us to do? Imitate Him, and His life was about others. And humanity spent like 20, 30, 40, 50,000 years coming up all these ways to preserve ourselves. And all the while, we just add to our fears and our anxieties and worries. And Jesus says, no, I'll set you free, just love others. That's what Rich was saying last week, when you really love others, there is, you can't really be imprisoned because you're loving others. There's no room for that other stuff. Consumed with compassion for others, there's no room for fear. In each story of the miracles of Jesus, there are humans filled with fear, anxiety, worry because of the circumstances, and Jesus filled with courage and hope because of the vision. And this is why, I think, during Jesus' last night with his disciples, he called them to this vision and spelled it out clearly for them right before he was arrested and crucified. So right before Jesus is arrested and crucified, he tells the disciples, hey, I'm about to get arrested and killed and go away. But instead of addressing all the fear and anxiety and worry that must have created in his band of followers, he said, oh, and by the way, go love others. Go love others. This was what he had been telling them right along. This was the vision. You're trapped in your own fears. But I've come to set you free. Here is that freedom. Love others. Imagine that. Imagine being on your deathbed and your family's gathered around and, and, and you want to tell them everything's going to be fine so you just look them in the eye and say, hey, go love others. If that's what God did, maybe it's true. So in today's story, he puts it this way. Hey, you feed them. Now, the circumstances in our story are pretty dire. 5,000 men plus women and children. Most scholars think it's 15 to 20,000 people at this point. And five loaves and two fishes. You don't need to be an accountant, Kevin, to figure that out. It's not going to work, right? Dire. But what the disciples fail to realize, and what we often fail to realize, is that in God's hands, the smallest amount becomes too much. Creation teaches this, the Incarnation teaches this, the Crucifixion teaches it, Resurrection teaches it. Think about creation. Consider the Milky Way. The Milky Way is this ginormous galaxy, and it's like a little pin spot on the universe. Too much. The Creator just keeps creating and creating and creating and creating and creating and creating. The first miracle God does when He's incarnated is to make wine at a wedding and he makes enough wine for two, three, four weddings. Too much. The crucifixion is all about his love is too endless and his grace is more than sufficient for everyone. And his resurrection reveals that life is limited. Uh, limitless, sorry. Life is limitless. This is why Jesus always sees the possibilities while we focus on the impossibilities. So while the disciples were anxious about what they did not have, enough food to feed themselves, Jesus saw what they did have. Five loaves and two fishes, and he knew in his hands it was more than enough for them and for the crowd. Because in his hands, even death becomes life. Now, to their credit, 
And against all their common sense, the disciples follow his lead. And we see the real miracle behind the miracle. They have to stop thinking about themselves and they have to put others first. He tells them, go, have them sit down. Now let's watch this happen. Watch this miracle that Jesus is doing in them. Now first note the detail of the green grass. Did anyone, did, did anyone catch this detail as the gospel was being read this morning? Come on. If you know your Bible at all, this has had to hit you. Right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. That's not just a random detail that their authors of the Gospels put in. It's just another beautiful messianic moment. Yes, Jesus is God. He makes us lie down in green pastures. I love that part of this story. And then they're told, now collect the leftovers. Now, this is something that was common in practice in Judaism. After big meals, the leftovers would be collected and given to the servants. And this is a connection to Jewish law that when the fields were being harvested, they had to leave a certain amount in the field so the poor people could come and collect it. Okay? And this is a connection to that. Now, notice that the leftovers of this feast fill 12 baskets. Now, in the feeding of the 5,000, there's a certain original word that's used for basket. It's different than the feeding of the 4,000. In the feeding of the 4,000, it's a huge basket. That probably could even fit a person in it. But in the feeding of 5,000, it's a small basket for personal provisions. Think of it as a lunch pail. So there were 12 baskets, now holding a meal for a person. And there were 12 disciples who needed a meal. The meal, they were all afraid they weren't going to get if they fed the people. See the miracle? They were being taught that becoming lovers of others, becoming servants, becoming least, becoming last, means not having to fear, to worry, to be anxious. Because life always waits for those who would follow the life. And the life always laid himself down for others. It's a beautiful thing, this miracle. No wonder it's an awful gospel. Now, of course, the disciples didn't get it right away, but remember, this was pre-resurrection. We live post-resurrection. And after resurrection, they got it. Fear was replaced with courage, anxiety was replaced with hope, worry with certainty, and lives of self-focus became lives of compassion for others. Here's a definition of the first church. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with a glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Can you imagine these people who told Jesus, send everybody away so we can eat, are now just welcoming people in and giving them whatever they need. 
you know, I always smile when you can you can read blogs or you meet people that you know are convinced their church is the only church and the only way to do church, and and then they'll tell you they're they're as connected to the first church as they're the only ones connected to the first church. And I always smile because all I ask is, "Oh, you guys live in community where everything's in common? That's awesome." No, no, we don't do that. Oh, well, then I guess you're not the first church. <laughs> There's one litmus test for being the first church living in community. We don't. That's why I never make claims that Cain is the church doing it right. We're just, we're just a modern day American church doing our best to figure out how to love God and love others. But imagine if we did live like this. Could you imagine? Where caring for each other was more important than anything else. These men who were so afraid to share their meal, we're now sharing everything. Everything. That was the real miracle. See, God multiplying loaves and fishes, i got to imagine that's pretty easy for the Creator who made it all in the first place. I always get a chuckle when I read, I read a lot of stuff, scholars are always arguing whether he did this or not. Trying to, try to break this down. Like, if he was God, what's the big deal? And he didn't even make it a big deal. When you read, when Jared was reading a story, he just prays, and then all of a sudden they just pass out the food. They just pass it out. I, I bet, I bet the majority of people there that day had no idea there was a miracle happening. They were just like, "Wow, they're giving us food, awesome!" But the disciples, they were the ones who needed the miracle. So the miracle, transforming the hearts of fearful humanity into courageous lovers of others, setting us free from our chains of anxiety, giving us the grace of the imitation of Christ. I think this is all the stuff of deeper miracles. Perhaps when we understand the loaves and fishes, we will understand this too. Even better, perhaps we will live. Thanks be to God.